Well, uh, Phyllis and I are getting ready to launch off to Florida. I really didn't know if I ever expected to go to Florida again. <clears throat> and um, so we're, we're looking forward to the conference we're going to. Kurt Apisa is going to share next week, and um, Kevin's going to help on the worship team. So I expect everything to go well. Turn with me to Luke 14. Well, actually, turn first to 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Let's see if that's the passage that... Starting in uh, verse 5, although there may be many so-called gods in this world, and in heaven there may be many gods, lords, and masters, yet for us there is only one God, the Father. Out of him is all things, and our lives are lived for him. And there is one Lord Jesus, the anointed one, through whom we and all things exist. And... Um, I'm going to borrow a phrase out of uh, this uh, uh, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that um, <clears throat> in this book called to Dis Discipleship. We're going to go back a little bit and review what I shared last week. Um, but he, he comes to this conclusion at the end of this particular chapter that we are the people of the mediator. And um, I'm really uh, appreciating what I'm seeing, I had, I would have said it before, but I, I see something so different. So keep that in mind where the people of the, of the mediator, the mediator, the one, the one that, what did I just read here? There is one Lord Jesus, the anointed one through whom we and all things exist. So he's the, the beginning, the end, the end all. We, we would agree with that. But I um, want to get that to be very relevant to our personal everyday life. And um, you can have the words and the language and kind of like agree to things. And yet having it, owning it is, is a different thing. So um, we were looking at this passage in um, Luke 14. And we can turn there. And of course, I've been talking about following Jesus and um, it's no more and it's no less than that. And even my uh, friends in the ministry, like I talk to them and they'll relate a situation, just something they're struggling with, all that just comes out in a conversation. And this is an answer to so many things. Um, you're feeling insignificant, you're struggling with something, and it's like, you're just following, you're following, are you following Jesus? Like, if you are, that's what it's about. Are you still following? Yes, then follow. Then know that, that that is it, and go where he's leading you to go. And I find I'm so quick to uh, judge something that someone does, discern something. I and I think I'm right, of course. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have gone there. They shouldn't have whatever, you know? There are all kinds of situations we observe and we, we have this little judgment, you know? No one pays us to do that, so I don't know why we do it for free, but uh, we, we have this commentary. We run on it. When you embrace this, this thing of following Jesus, and I believe it was 
was it Peter that was rebuked for asking about John? Hey, what about that disciple? And Jesus turns to him and says, That's not, don't worry about him. You just worry about you. You know, that, what's it to you if he's still here when I come back? Peter's like, you know, that, those, those moments when you say something and Jesus kind of burns you a little bit. Like, you're like, don't touch the electric fence. And, um, and that's okay. He's the son of God, you know. Every once in a while he can go, zip, zap, like, and you go, ooh. Mm, my bad, like that. Yep, won't go there again. Won't do that again. Hopefully. <laughs> so, when you begin to relate to every person as you're following Jesus, so that's about you and Jesus, and they are, and even if they are not, it's none of yours. Like, it's between them and Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a little help here. Helpful hints. Our walks do all look different. There are the black and whites of Scripture, but then there are other parts of it that we don't have to match up. Jesus is just fine with, with you walking the way you walk and you walking the way you walk. It's between you and him. If there's Sin, if there's conviction, if there's something wrong, then, then he'll deal with you about that. But it's so liberating to just go, I can take, I'm just taking care of me. Like, here's me, as for me in my house, or as for me in my life, this is, and I'll find this. Some wise leaders are hesitant to even tell you how much they pray or what they do because they'll be like, if you don't have the grace to do what I'm doing, you'll just be condemned. That's all there is to it. We were watching a group of leaders within the last year or two, and uh, um, Bill Johnson was there, Mike Bickle was there, there was another key leader, um, I can't remember who. What's that? I don't know that he was in on that discussion because this was out at Reading. Um, and, and they were just having this talk about, it was like, um, uh, you know, they're all sitting in chairs on the stage, just kind of answer question thing and relating to one another. And uh, they, they asked Mike Bickle what he did on vacation. And he's sitting there. It was like a big deal for him to visit um, uh, Bethel at this time. Okay, so they were all, it was kind of a cool thing that's going on. And um, he goes, I, I don't want to tell you. And like, no, 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 come on, tell us. Like, you know, everybody's just love to know. What do you do when you're actually on vacation? Are you still Mike Bickle, the intense, you know, over whatever you are, you know? Like, I, I don't want to say. I mean, they, they coax him and beg him, and he finally tells them that when he goes on vacation, him and his wife usually go for like two weeks and go somewhere. He takes his commentaries with him. <laughs> And studies, that's what he loves to do. And while he's on vacation, he studies through the day, reads and studies and reads books and gets caught up on all the things that he just wants to read and study. Commentaries, okay? Bill Johnson's like, oh, dude, whoa, wow. Like, I go fishing. I go hunting. You're like, no, no way. You know, it's like, isn't it interesting? But, but Mike says, he says, but I have the grace for that. That is what I desire to do. And then in the evening, my wife and I go do something together. And she's good with that, and I'm good with that. Like, that's, our, that's what we do to get restored and refreshed. So it's very important 
wouldn't it just relieve you, number one, to stop trying to figure everybody else out, and number two, to just follow Jesus yourself. And like, here's, here's, what, here's what I do. Here's how, I do. here's how my day begins. Here's how it ends. Here's what I do through the day. Here's what I... And, and just be at peace with that and realize there's a grace. And sometimes... And there's, there's different levels because it depends on what your task is, what the Lord wants of you. And uh, it's, it's just like great news. So we get to uh, Luke 14 here, and we were looking at some things, and I'm going to read again, repeat this in verse 25. As massive crowds followed Jesus, he turned to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, you must put aside or... In the New King James Version, I know, it says, hate. <laughs> hate your mother, brother, father, mother, brother, sister. Yes, you will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is the price you'll, ha- you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. I was like, wow. The disciples, they, they gave all to follow him, and they're still struggling with his words. He's given these tough things. They're like... Oh, man, you're killing us, dude. How, well, how much more can we give? And, and so this is kind of an intriguing thing. I relate the little story that got a little bit too detailed, more detailed than I wanted last week when, I, when Phyllis jumped up. Here, I'll, I'm like, uh-oh, I'm, I'm cooked. But for the sake of being transparent, talking about our marriage, talking about, about different things and how at some point, in your life, in your walk, and this is what Jesus requires. And when you understand the why, then you go, ah. Because I came to this place where I had to admit I hate my mother. Now, this is the person that I looked up the most to. She was my spiritual mentor. She was the big, big reason for me to come to Jesus in the first place. She was all, she kind of was a a guardian over me spiritually all, all my life, not just a parent, but watching over, especially like uh, if I would sing a song at church and, and it wasn't spiritual enough for her, she was like, you know, I got da da da. So she had me, but I didn't feel like it was oppressive because I, I really like looked up to her and she spiritually, she was really on the ball with me. And um, I looked at her as one of the most spiritual pre- people I knew. And at a point in my adult life, after we have this church and we're walking and she kind of, then stuff began to happen and oh boy, it hit the fan. I never believed it would, would happen, but we really clashed, came into a conflict that went really bad relationally, really bad. A couple things had happened and boom, 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 and wow. And it took me the rest of her life to get to a point where I could, re- I could forgive her for not being who I thought she should be. Like, you couldn't have this. This, this isn't right. You, this is not. You, set, you, you, you preached to me all my life about this stuff, and now you're that person, you know. And so we have these terrible, and in the midst of coming to that and that point, I was not closer to Jesus. I could say, Jesus, I hate my mother. And he's like, that's not a good thing. Okay, you're, mm -mm. no. So it's not about that. I say that to say it's truly, truly not about that. 
But it is true. It's an invitation for you to become a true individual. And that was what Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes in this book. And I'm like, oh, my. I went, oh, my gosh. He says, through the call, I'll read this again, of Jesus, men become individuals. Because until then, you're just someone's son, someone's daughter, someone's brother, someone's sister. You go to some church. You have some identity. Even when you don't think you do, you're an American. You know, it's like your identity is in a lot of other things. They don't even have to be bad things. The biggest hindrance sometimes to you following Jesus completely is the people you love, the people that are closest to you. They can actually be the biggest hindrance. It's even easier to deal with enemies or people don't don't like you than these people that you highly respect and you're really connected with. So he said, this is about becoming an individual so Jesus becomes the mediator between you and God, you and sin. We're like, yeah, 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 you and everybody. Like, what do you mean? It is Christ who makes them individuals by calling them. Every man is called separately. I had been feeling that as I began to study this again following Jesus. I believe that every one of every person needs to perceive this call for themselves from Jesus. I'll, I'll stick with that. I was feeling that strongly as I was studying. And then he says it again. Every man has to be called individually. But men are frightened of solitude and they try to protect themselves from it by merging themselves into society of their fellow men. We call this peer pressure. What's the greatest danger for our children when they're at school? When, when are they tempted to do things they really would never do except for the peer pressure? Now it's what you should do with your peers and the feeling of being alone or isolated so strong we'll, we'll do things we don't really want to do but that desire to belong is greater and you find yourself acting like them so that they don't make fun of you. It's very powerful. It's the power of Facebook. It's the, power, it's the big deal we're dealing with right now with all of our social media and censorship and, and et cetera, et cetera. You've got to really take a second look at yourself if you want to go out there and say what you really believe now, right? Because there's a, there's a response if it's not acceptable, if it's not okay. Jesus wants us to be free from that influence. But all this is only a cloak to protect them from having to make a decision. Ouch. Ouch. When I do construction work at some point or another, I'm always in this with a customer. What colors do you think? I'm like, oh, Jesus, I don't do colors. I'm like, don't even ask me that. How do you think this looks? Like, I have a sense of how I want to make something or build something, but then that, that color thing comes in. That's always like, um, I just like check out. Uh, 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 uh. And even if I told you, it needs to be your colors. It needs to be your choices. And so it's just this fun, and fun thing, like it's neat, but it, it's a good illustration of that. It's like, I, I've learned like, no, 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 no. You need to decide because 
I'm like, like this, but you don't like Jonathan. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, there are things you help customers with and people you work, and then there are, there are things you go, no, 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 no. Call your priest or something, but don't call me. They are unwilling to stand alone before Jesus and to be compelled to decide with their eyes fixed on him alone. And then in brackets, I wrote this, or I put it this in brackets, yet neither father nor mother, neither wife nor child, neither nationality nor tradition can protect a man at the moment of his call. Nothing can protect you. Nothing can, you must decide on your own to follow him. Now, I'm gonna say something that's like, I believe, again, oh, I just believe this really deeply. Sometimes people choose to follow Jesus because there's a pressure. I, I experienced this pressure from my mother that I looked up to so much. There was like, she was really pleased with me for choosing Jesus and then choosing to go towards the ministry. But I'm not sure, I had to, I had to revisit these decisions because I needed to own them and they couldn't be from her pressure anymore. They, so I had to work through those things. And I think a lot of people do, and that's not a problem, but you do need to do this. Why did you say yes to Jesus, really? Was it so you could still sleep in the same house with your family? <laughs> I know if I want to get along with the people I'm living with, I better go to church and I better do this and act like this. I'm so grieved. One of the things that just, I don't know what word, maybe that's not the right word. It, I just, I hate to see this. I struggle with this. Sincere uh, parents, people that have children, especially in the ministry, and their kids are like anti-everything, like they're pushing, and I'll, I've watched this for years and years. Ashley couldn't go anywhere that when she told someone she was a pastor's kid, they were like amazed. Know why? Because she wasn't a hellion. How many times did you get that response, Ashley? Almost always. Like, what? No, you can't be. You're, you know, she wasn't perfect, but you're, you're, you're a nice, you're a good person. You're like, I can't believe it because pastors are all, they have a reputation of being the opposite why is that i'm going to submit to you because i have pondered this a lot i i always hear the comments and i'm always like i know these people are very sincere in their leadership and yet their kids can be way way off as far as their convictions and i believe it has to do with this right here and it's very tempting once you're in the ministry that your kids put a good look on you, okay? And it's not just people in the ministry. It's all of us. You don't want your parent, your kids. You'll, you've said it as you dealt with your own children. You're embarrassing me. What's that? <laughs> what was that? Like, are you now correcting their behavior because they need corrected and it's not good for them? Or are you correcting something because they're making you look bad? Good question. And then as it comes to choosing Jesus, every child needs to, they, every person needs to hear that call and make that decision. If you don't, you'll have to come back to the decision moment. 
and decide whether you're going to follow Jesus because he called you and you chose to follow or whether it was out of pressure because that other thing, it won't get you through. You'll either pose, you'll fake, or you just flat out rebel. And this is why often because of how we've as leaders as pastors as evangelists how we present this i've been praying that the lord would anoint me to call people to follow jesus because i saw this i'm like he needs to call it and every person needs to hear that call and i want to participate with him with having an anointing to call someone to follow jesus like that is not a pressure on me that's just an anointing an invitation, come and follow, so that it's a real, a real thing from Jesus that people are responding to and not something else. So you begin to see why this is so important. Jesus is laying this out, and, and it's like, it is Christ, he should be thus, uh, it is Christ's will that he should be thus isolated and that he should fix his eyes solely upon him. Now we have that language. But when you take a second look and you go, wow, this really has to be. You really have to see Jesus. You really have to have your eyes fixed on, on him. And then he begins to work and he wants to bring us to this place where he's the one that is between us and everything and everyone. Even the people that you love. Because sooner or later, the people that you love, husband, wife, mother, father, brother, sister, all of those really close relationships, at some point, something will sneak in out of the darkness and, and defile the relationship. Trust is broken. Offense comes. And guess what you need at this moment, or you're going to take it to a bad place. You need a mediator. So we're like, oh, you know how in your close friendships and your close relationships when things are going good, you're like, wow, there's nothing between us. We're friends. We're, you know, well, nothing would ever come between us. So there'd never be a problem. Beware. Something can come. If you have truly the mediator, if you truly have Jesus between you and every person especially the people you love, then when the stuff comes, when the hardship comes, when the difficulties come, and they will come, that you have someone to go to to help you stay in a good place. Otherwise, you will not, because if the right offense comes and the right breach is broken, if the right situation happens, you won't have what it takes to stay in a good place. We're plagued with this. The offenses and the difficulties and this thing comes in between you and someone you never believed it would happen to. Jesus is calling us. When he speaks these words, he's like, come, let me be between every person. And then I can give you back in the case that you've lost. Sometimes you lose people. You lose things. You lose relationships. I'll give you back mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers in this life and the life to come. That's, that's the amazing promise of this. 
and, and we saw that in Abraham. I related this. I, Abraham having a promise of receiving a son, a promised son, Isaac. He finally has him. And then the spirit of the Lord, like this is really bizarre, but he's like, I want you to take him up on the mountain, offer him up to me. I still cringe at the story. It's so hard to watch. And you just can't comprehend how could I do And God, you wouldn't. <laughs> God just looks down like, what if I would? You know those things where you go, don't make me do that. That'd be a, don't make me do that. But in his willingness to obey, even, even in this thing, this was this passage being that he would even let, he would even sacrifice his son to obey Jesus. Even in that, then the Lord, once he's proven, he passes the test, he's given back his son. His grand, yeah, his son is he's given back. And he provides a ram for the, uh, the offering, the sacrifice. And you can't escape this if you want to really follow Jesus. You can't escape this. this, this will, the tests will come. The enemy will come to destroy whatever's close to you. Guaranteed. So, so you want to get this. I'm not going to go into details about this, but I, I'm learning this, that things I really love and I become fearful of something happening. Let's just use a silly object like a new car or something you have. It's in the driveway. New, yeah. I saw Sean's golf cart yesterday at, the, at this memorial service. Like, I'm like, Sean, you told me about this, but this thing's, this is amazing. It's the most amazing golf cart I ever saw. Like, it's got side view mirrors, turn signals. I mean, this thing, and, and it's yellow and it's beautiful, sharp. Like if you're into golf carts, like when you get 60, you're like, wow. I never saw one like that before. And don't tell me, Sean, you haven't had that thing like some little kid or somebody's going to walk by and, you know, you're like. I've been learning something, especially that's a silly illustration, but it gets into people and things that there's a prayer that's greater than Lord protect this, this person. There's a prayer that says, Lord, they belong to you. I only pray for their will, I, your will for them. I only pray for what your purposes are for them. That's a greater prayer. See, that's the prayer where there's a mediator in between. And you never lose the Jesus is Lord and Jesus is control. And Jesus, you're my first. You're my first love. You're the one I love the most. And as for the things and the people, and we all have things and people we love. Say we do and say, and I want you to say to yourself, it's okay. That's not the problem. The problem is loving them more than him. Now, I love this because I finally, with conviction, can say that. I have understanding now. I truly can say, he commands me to love. Like, okay, so yeah. But I can never love. Like, it's a danger for me to love anything or anyone more than I love him. To put them in between. And that's where fear comes in. That's where anxiety comes in. That's where, that's where it falls apart. And if you get that that tweaked, 
Like I have found this immense peace when I start dealing with things that way. Like truly, you might have to offer up something every day. It's okay. It's a, it's a fragrance up to the Lord if you offer up to him the things you love the most. And if you have to do it every day because there's, there's anxiety about it, Jesus accepts every offering. It's like, mm, I smell the fragrance of that offering over that thing that I know means the most to you, and it's okay, and you just offer it up to me, and I'll cover it. I'll take care of it. And you see the difference here? Do you see how important this is? And so... He comes to the end of this chapter and he uses this, this terminology. We're the people of the mediator. And even as just in my everyday coming and going and I'm applying this, it's very liberating. It's so, it brings peace. And I, 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 can, re- I, can, I can go to something, I can do something, I can... I can go through the day and be offering up things to him. Like it's between, he's in the middle, he's the mediator of it. He's the mediator in, in difficult uh, relationships. You need to have this in your marriage, even if you think you're married to the perfect person. Yeah? Do I have a witness or, or are y'all just sliding through like butter, huh? If you have that in your marriage, like you personally, this has to be you personally, you have this, then you can get through so many little prickly things that happen on a daily basis. Or is it just me that can hear one comment that's just like, mm, you know, and two more on top of that? And I'm, yeah. Innocent things, the things that get to me. I need a mediator. I need... I need something in between that that I can really commit. I can commit to the Lord. Lord, I give this to you. I I offer this up to you. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. This could be the last day for a while that I'm on this uh, subject. I'll be gone next week, and then we'll see you where we go and hopefully I'll get Kevin back here to share and um, Mark chapter 10 it's the healing of a blind man that we know as blind Bartimaeus or uh, it's Bar Tamai is the is the name in the Aramaic, uh, and that would have been the language that was spoken when this took place. So when Jesus and his disciples in verse 46 passed through Jericho, a large crowd joined them upon leaving, leaving the village. They met a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road named Tamai, the son of Tamai. When he heard that Jesus from Nazareth was passing by, by the way, his name, interestingly enough, means highly prized. So here's a blind man. Life's challenging if you're blind, huh? You can have some ailments and some hard things, but blind is tough. 
When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now in my affliction, heal me. And I sensed there was some anxiety in this. There was some desperation in this cry. This wasn't a church prayer. Those in the crowd were indignant and scolded him. See? Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. What are you doing? You're being rude. You're being obnoxious. You're, you know, stop that. You're embarrassing us. You're being a nuisance. Don't bother Jesus. They had all kinds of good religious things to say. But he kept shouting with all his might. Why? Because he was desperate. Jesus was walking by. He had heard the stories, and he's like, I don't have time to be polite. I don't have time to be appropriate. Son of David, have mercy on me. Heal me. Jesus stopped and said, call him to come to me. So they, they went to the blind man and said, have courage, get up. Jesus is calling for you. That's a great day, the day that someone said, hey, Jesus is calling you. Like, pick up the phone. So he threw off his beggar's cloak, jumped up, made his way to Jesus. In verse uh, 51 now, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The man replied, my master, please let me see again. That's all I want. This is awesome, actually. No promises, no negotiations, no none of all that stuff, you know? It was just a simple, direct, passionate, desperate plea. Jesus responded, your faith heals you. Go in peace with your sight restored. All at once, the man's eyes opened, and he could see again. And he began to follow at once to follow Jesus walking down the road with him. And you're sitting there saying, well, of course he would. No. No, not necessarily. He did. He did. Remember Jesus healed those, that group of lepers and only one or two came back just even to thank him. Like, it was, was it a parable or did it, I forget. I was going to look it up and I didn't get to that. So not everyone that receives, and I hear people that are, um, faith healers and have ministries in healing. Some people have a radical change in their life. Other people just go right back to their sin. And they're like, I've listened to them tell their stories like, wow, I don't get it. Don't you realize what just happened to you? Yeah. So we're back to this thing. <laughs> He followed. From that miracle, he received, he gets up, and he immediately starts to follow. That was the right response. Never, never promised that, not in this story. And this is not a parable, this is a real story. He gets healed, and, he fought, and he's like, he's got a response to follow. The Lord does a lot of things in our lives. And if you have the wrong attitude and the wrong mindset, it still doesn't change you. You can still be stuck in this thing. It's all, and this is how you, you can just see, there's, it, it answers so many things, it clears up so much. It's about following Jesus. It's not about being fixed up first. It's not about getting cleaned up first. Just follow. 
The cleaning up and the changing and the maturing come in the action of following. And Phyllis related that, what she just read out of Rick Joyner's book. The same thing. Like, you want to love, love more? Begin to love, and you'll, you'll get better at it. Begin to walk, you'll get better at it. Just begin to move. Spiritually, begin to move. And what you need comes. Have something that's hard to go to or something to do? Just move. Just go. If you feel, again, if you feel it's what you're supposed to do, then just do it. You'll find the grace in the moving. If you sit and wait for the grace to come, it probably won't. But if you hear the call, you sense the, like, I should do this. I don't want to do this. The ability to do it will come as you follow, as you move out. It can be the simplest thing as a nudge to call someone. I still have these things where I feel to make a call, do a text, do the simplest thing, and I'm, I'm busy. My hands are dirty. I'm here. I'm there. And later that day, I encounter, and I'm like, I have to I either confess or I don't confess. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm not even going to tell you what I like, you know? I'm like, wow, how even much more better, how, mu how much better it would be if I said, I, you know, if I would have like, hey, I just have to call and tell you this. I just want to tell you this little, say this little thing. It doesn't make sense to me, but maybe it will to you. And, and that boom, like what a difference when life is full of people following the spirit, including you. And the Lord can be at work in our midst, and yet we're stubborn. We're like, Lord, why don't you tell me anything? Well, you haven't done the last five things I told you, you know. Yeah, but I was waiting for the feeling. I was, it needed to be bigger than a nudge. Like, that's all you needed was a nudge. Like, you knew. You know. Do you understand we can... We can, like, overnight be transformed if we'll all just be very diligent to just follow what he's saying to follow. Nothing more. Don't have to be like anybody else. Don't have to do it like anybody else. Just do what you're feeling. And become very conscious of getting Jesus as the mediator in all of your relationships, especially the good ones. You buy a new car. You get insurance. Why is that? Because you just don't know what's going to happen to you. You've got beautiful relationships. Get insurance. You love somebody? Get Jesus as a mediator. Get him in the middle of this thing. And it's the only guarantee to keeping what is precious to you. And it keeps you, it causes you to be an individual instead of living in fear of losing something or living under obligation. We're, as a culture, we need a real upgrade in this. We really need to stop being fearful about our own shadow and being socially unacceptable. And there's a good way to do that and a very bad way to do that. I'm talking about looking like Jesus in it. I'm talking about following a spirit and having confidence and being willing to be different. Jesus, this is what this is about. 
wants you to be an individual, wants you to be, and man, people love other people that are brave and fearless. They, they do, they're blessed with like, wow. Like, I know how hard that was for you to do that. That, that blessed me. It, it gives them, it's contagious. Courage and being real and true to who you are and what you believe, even if it's not acceptable, that inspires people. You want to bless someone? Be yourself. Remember the old, you know, right? be yourself. And you can only be yourself through Jesus. Everything else is just trying to imitate what some, a perception or what somebody else is. Just follow that. It's that simple. It's that easy. So let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that every one of us where there's an, an we're not being, we're not an individual yet. We're not free yet to be ourselves. I know it's a big thing in our culture, in our lives that shows up and all of a sudden we realize someone asks us, why are you doing that? We often don't have a good we don't have a good answer. We're just driven to do it, but we don't know why we do it. Why are you striving for something? We often don't have the answer for that. Holy Spirit, come today and search our hearts and show us the why. And we ask for your grace to come and be the mediator in our lives. Come and be between us so that we have conversation with you about everything and everyone in all that we do and all that we say. I ask that you will be the, the con a present conscious and monitor, conscience and, and monitor of our words and even of our thoughts, that we become sensitive and attuned to what you, what you point your finger at, what you frown at, what, what disturbs you. We're commanded in the word to not quench the spirit. And when we go our own way and we violate things that matter and violate people that matter to you, we're grieving you and quenching you. And I, I want to live in a way that blesses you and pleases you. Set a watch over my lips. Set a guard over my heart and the intentions of my heart. Show me a Psalms 19 if there's any presumptuous sin in my life, things I'm just not aware of. If I have you as the mediator, you'll ever be showing and leading and guiding me and giving me grace to make the changes so that the changes are coming from you that the conviction to change is not coming from people, but it's coming from you. Be ever present with us in Jesus' name. Father, I ask your blessing over every, every body, everyone's health, everyone's well-being. Give us strength in these days. Give us calm and resolve. If things shake around us, let us manifest peace. I ask that you will just come and surround us, that we have a testimony. The Lord is my peace. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. And I know you will not leave us. You will not forsake us. You will never leave. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Good. Have a good week.